Which came first, the podcast or the misery? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll just go. Hi, welcome to Happy Tears. I'm Brandon. And I'm Nick. And this is Happy Tears, a podcast where two sensitive boys talk about the art that they love, so much so that it often brings them to tears. Today on the podcast, there will be three sensitive boys <laughs> talking about three different works of art that are all uh, different versions, uh, adaptations of the same work, which is first the book High Fidelity by the author Nick Hornby, a 1995 novel that was adapted into a movie starring John Cusack in the year 2000, and most recently a Hulu adapted television show starring Zoe Kravitz. It feels weird not doing a top five because that's such a high fidelity thing to do, but- Some what? good old discussion. We're, yeah, it's just some good old discussion. And this is Happy Tears. So before we bring our guest in and uh, discuss high fidelity, we're going to do our normal thing of weekly recommendations, things we're listening to, watching, consuming on a weekly basis. Brandon, you up? I'm up first. A lot of music came out on Friday and I wanted to highlight at least one thing. I'll probably just talk about uh, one thing here. So the thing that I've loved most is this new Perfume Genius album. I really was looking forward to this one because I loved the the last one, or I really loved several of his albums, but his uh, last album, No Shape, was really great and inventive and uh, produced by Blake Mills, who's one of my favorite artists and producers. And so I was super stoked, specifically with the releases of his singles. I was just really looking forward to the album, and it definitely delivered. Again, here, there's really textured, interesting, and surprising production on on this and instrumentation that, like, just combining different instruments that I've, I've never really heard before. There are some shifts in the song that are just uh, really fresh and surprising or... Uh, production methods and the way slide guitar is used on this similarly to previous album but Blake Mills is just an incredible guitar player and does some really kind of inventive guitar work and some of the work on this is is really great and it's kind of has a lot of different styles on here but a lot of it stays in this really um, kind of vulnerable and intimate space and, and so it's just been fun it's a lot to sink your teeth into kind of on on every track even the quiet ones have some things that I've noticed on second and third listen that have been really rewarding but that record is called set my heart on fire immediately and is out now there's a there's a, a song that I think is there's a ton of really really great songs but uh, one of the singles that was released was called describe and it reminds me of, um, do you know the song Lightning Crashes yeah. by the band Live? It's, I feel like if you've heard, if you heard it, you would. It's a, it's an older song. Um, but my dad, I feel like I used to hear it around my dad a lot. So I had like this personal connection with it in that way, but. Um, I know this song. <laughs> <you do? laughs> yeah, yeah, I know this song. Yeah, yeah. 
the song described reminds me of that song in a weird in a weird way like it's a like a fuzzed out version with some uh modern production flourishes on it and it has like i don't know it's such a the the fuzzed out kind of like guitar and production is just so thick and but his his voice um and some of the kind of just production tricks that they do on the on the vocals and stuff is just it's super super cool so there's a lot of really cool new music that got released but this one in particular is what i uh, kind of latched on to most Excellent. I I really like that single that you showed me a couple weeks ago, and I have not. I haven't been listening to a ton of music, so um, I will dive into it when I <laughs> decide to do that. And yeah, I've been kind of in a slump. Obviously, there's been records pushed back and, and not a ton going on in the world of movies. And, and so I've been really just kind of reading, reading a lot and um, catching up on some TV that I've missed. But Glad there's some some new music to uh, to listen to, you know. Yeah, really. Anytime I put on music lately, it's either been movie scores. I made a playlist of like my favorite movie scores, and I can't stop listening to it. And then festival cutters, I just keep listening to, and I think it's so great. It kind of came out while we were not putting out episodes, so it's something that we kind of. Ha- had to skip uh, we may revisit it in the next couple of weeks but um that album just so great and uh maybe i'll i'll throw one of my favorite tracks onto the playlist just for funsies cool yeah those two have been uh i mean that special bolt cutters and then this perfume genius have been like definitely stand out uh musical achievements i think during this time so i my movie count for the quarantine is up to 49 who i would have done number 50 yesterday but i got so in my head about what movie is going to be the big 50 <laughs> this is so important nick <laughs> things, things that don't matter at all but matter so much uh that's so funny. I, so Yeah. So, I mean, I've been going back. You know, a lot of these movies have been movies I've never seen before. Classic films. Can we make a, a decision right now? Okay. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, yeah, yeah, of course we could not and cut this out, but well, okay, this might so, be fun. Yeah, I don't know. I'm open to suggestions on, the, on my big 50 movie, but just know that I may not go with it. <laughs> what would your big recommendation be if, if it was just like any movie anywhere? I would recommend my Blu-ray Criterion version of Paris, Texas. I knew you were going to say that. I fucking knew it. <laughs> There's a there's a father son element in it that um, I'm attached to. There's a really awesome score. I love the the soundtrack to this movie because it's uh, it's done by Ry Cooter, who's a an awesome guitar player, and I think it fits perfectly. And actually, Blake Mills. Speaking of Blake Mills, is really uh, you know style and stuff is really influenced by uh, Ry Cooter's guitar playing. And so it kind of marries this, I think visually it's a really, really awesome movie. Acting is great, you know, score I love. So it was one of those like kind of changed the way I experience movies. You know, you talk about like Moonlight and stuff for you. And yeah, but it was one of those moments. Yeah. I mean, since the start of the podcast, I've, I've known that this is one of your favorites, if not maybe your favorite movie. So it's been on my radar just since since you and I've been buds. And so uh, you sold me. I will watch Paris, Texas as my 50th movie. Wow. And if you don't like it, it's going to crush me. <laughs> <laughs> this is all my fears of 
putting others through an experience and then not liking it. It's time. It's time. It's time. <laughs> the, no time, is, time. the time has come. Yeah. That sounds like we've wrapped up the recommendations and let's get to the podcast. <laughs> Perfect. What came first? Music or the misery? People worry about kids playing with guns or watching violent videos. Some sort of culture of violence will take them over. Nobody worries about kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? So first and foremost, we should introduce our esteemed honorable guest, Chad Kursky. Hey, Chad. Hey there. I hear you're calling me a, a, a sensitive boy. I definitely feel like the sensitive old man. <laughs> you're still very sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> what is the line? When, when is there, I know it's a very gray area of like when you it, it like get past middle age but when do you become an old when did you start feeling like an old man or is it all relative to who you're talking to? uh i i would say kids usually does it yeah. <laughs> that's, that's that's the trigger <laughs> well by that logic i'll be young forever there you go. And i'm looking forward to it um okay, so chad is a dear friend of mine a friend and a mentor that uh i met at my first job out of college was uh, one of the people that, that helped me kind of gain my footing in my first job, my first foray into the adult world. And since then, has uh, we've maintained a friendship and he's taught me so much about music and art and embracing life. And uh, he also is the biggest audiophile I know, along with my dear friend, Brandon. So having you two together in uh, this same space is very exciting for me. Um, and you guys both also have the Chicago thing. You kind of spent very uh, important parts of your life living in Chicago, right? Absolutely. It's true. Uh, so Chad, when was that for you? Uh, I moved there in 99 and stayed there till 2002. But those were like the early uh, 20s for me. So they feel more like they were about 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Brandon, what what is your, I know a little bit about your Chicago experience, but tell me some of it. I lived up there from 2010 to 2014, just for, for school, and I spent the summers back here. So got the, the brutal Chicago winters and the, the brutal Texas summers. <laughs> Excellent. That's the exact opposite of what you want to do Exactly. You know, obviously the, the significance of Chicago is because the movie, which came out in 2000 while you were living there, Chad, is set in Chicago. And it's such, see, it feels like such a vital part of, of what that movie is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this movie, the movie itself, certainly anytime I watch it just brings me back to that moment. Uh, mainly because literally in the first month that I moved to Chicago, I ran into the production of the movie while walking to a friend's house. The classic scene where John Cusack's yelling up at Charlie saying, you fucking bitch! <laughs> like you they, saw that? Yes, it was the, the rain and it. Like they had a, they had a rain um, you know, machine. contraption machine coming down on the side of a beautiful building in, in Bucktown. Yeah, and, and it was like, wow, this, this place is the most magical place in the world. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I know that you're a huge fan of the book also. Yeah. Had you read it at that point already? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I was, and, I mean, even that story is pretty amazing. It was um, kind of like Brandon. I, I was 
doing the, the the thing where I was going to school in, in Ohio at the time. This was back in probably 97, 98. Um, yeah, it had to be 97, December of 97, because it was my senior year of college. And I came down to visit my parents here in Texas for the um, for the winter break and didn't have any friends because I had lived in Ohio my entire life and my parents moved to Texas when I was in college. So I was alone listening to music and there was a young guy that um, had just recently graduated from college living across the street that my parents introduced me to. He was a fan of the book, gave it to me, and I read it within two days and just devoured it. Um, and from then on, it was the book that I gave to everybody for years and years um, and definitely have a kinship to it because of just the way it, it describes uh, that need for, for um, tangible music that I collect. Um, you know, it's not just about listening to music, it's about having it. Yeah, and you, I mean, both of you guys, Brandon and Chad, have have very impressive vinyl collections. Um, while I have a little crate over here next to me that's got about 25 uh, records, so I've been are way ahead of me. I've been trying to do some quality control on it recently and have been making my way through to, you know, make it a little smaller. I don't feel like I need, I mean, a lot of them have been passed on to me, and I just haven't listened to all of them yet, and so trying to get rid of the ones that I don't like plan on listening to over and over again. So yeah, every, every collection needs a little pruning. Yeah. <laughs> a little pruning. That's the word I was. And it's a nice little, uh, you know, quarantine ex- exercise as well. <laughs> so. Um, so Chad, at that point in your history where, where you, you read the book and devoured it and started handing it out to people was DJ snack. Was he in existence yet? Or did you not I- become a DJ till later? I, I, I was DJing, but the name itself didn't exist yet. Um, in, in college, I would I DJed um, at local dive bars in Oxford, Ohio, and then worked at 97X, the future of rock and roll, as an intern, uh, which was actually an amazing gig. But it was also the moment where I looked around the room and said, I don't know if I could do this for my my career. <laughs> I mean, e- even to this day, thinking about that amazing space um, with, with all of the, the music that 97X had was just amazing. Just a, a real mecca for, for people that love modern rock music. And did the character of Rob inspire any of that behavior? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the thing that I always gravitated toward, I mean, I'm, among the many things that, that maybe gravitate towards Rob was the fact that he was just stuck throughout most of the book right. and trying to just figure it out. And certainly at the time I was trying to figure out, like I was saying, I was, I was working at a radio station, which, you know, three years earlier I thought was my dream job. And, and now was like, oh my God, like, I don't even think these things are going to exist much longer. And, right. you know, <laughs> um, and, uh, just like that aspect of it just always intrigued me and then just this idea of both being the you know the hero of your story and the villain of other people's story <laughs> um which gets into his you know he goes down his top five trying to of his um ex-girlfriends that he tries to find and finds out man i was pretty much a dick to to a lot of them and, uh, I definitely identified with that as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a huge 
touchstone for me too of of just the the story of thinking you're a victim and realizing you were the asshole all along is like kind of my life story. So so that's my biggest connection to this whole thing. I don't have any good stories on my connection to these works other than I always thought the movie was something the movie was something I hadn't seen but always knew I would like it once I finally saw it and then it became one of my favorite movies in my early 20s and I read the book recently really in preparation for watching the show and that's about it I do enjoy it and it's one of my favorite movies but uh no cool stories here Brandon what about your connection to this stuff also no uh no super interesting stories but I I did read or I remember watching the movie quite a while back to where I didn't um, I don't know, I, I didn't remember a ton of it until I started going back through and, and read the book for the first time and recognized a lot of the situations, but I, um, it is, it, there is a different setting. I mean, there's a lot of things that are, uh, that are similar between um, the book and the movie and the movie's pretty, stays pretty truthful for, um, for, for most of it. Obviously it has the Chicago setting, but so I, I really enjoyed the book and just had read it at here like a, a month or ago or so and then um watch the tv show and then return back to the movie last so kind of in in that weird order there but although i don't like i said i don't really remember a ton from the first time i watched i remember liking liking the movie and specifically the characters um but going back and watching the movie again uh there's a lot of like of the the just the different like techniques and and filming and all the stuff that just felt felt new to me when i was watching it um so yeah I think we should uh, just start in chronological order of release and, and talk about this book before we get more in depth to the movie and the TV show. Chad, since since you read it first, I'm just going to throw this directly to you. Do you remember what it was about this book that uh, really grasped you so strongly? I, I mean, it was it was like finding a tribe that I didn't know existed, you know, in a way, in that... I loved music. I, you know, I was working towards doing something in entertainment. You know, going to college, trying to figure out my way there. But I always was just one of those people that had like a just a foot in the pool. Not, I wouldn't dive all the way in. And so I recognized some of these people superficially that that I run into. You know, in my pursuit of of, of a career, but I never. Um, gotten to know them like this and then all of a sudden I was like oh my god like they're just like me they have the same neuroticies they have the same tics they order their albums in weird ways and then go back and reorder them they make mixtapes incessantly I mean this is this is who I am and um, and, and you know those are the good qualities I also saw plenty of the bad <laughs> qualities and and that just it, it just just made it a really fun read and and then you know then at the time like you know this is pre Napster even so to read Hornby talk about these amazing artists and you know the in top five lists that show up throughout the book and everything like that and be like what exactly is that I don't know that I've heard that yet and then trying to find it you know still at that stage where you know you you had to go hunt out stuff in a physical world you know and luckily like my where I lived at the time I was in Chicago I sometimes went back to Columbus Ohio which has Ohio State University which has amazing record stores at the time here down in Dallas we had Bill's Records you could hunt stuff down um, but 
that definitely just opened my eyes to to that whole world in, in a way and, and made me feel comfortable. It's like, yeah, that, that's, I am one of those people. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, I, I read this for the first time like three months ago, right? And so so reading it in 2020 as opposed to 19, in the late 90s, it's just such a, a different experience, especially since I, I do have to search out these artists, but I don't have to do it in the physical world. I can find a Spotify playlist that somebody has already created called Nick Hornby's High Fidelity and press play while I read the book. And so it's just an interesting contrast in experiences, but it's also a great thing for me in reading this book, watching the, the movie and even the show is it feels like a music education for me. Even some of the most mainstream artists that, that they, you know, they talk about Michael Jackson's Thriller and, and Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, you know, like massive records. Some of those I've, I've come in contact with throughout my life, but I don't have, a, I don't have the, the music and pop culture history knowledge that I think either of you guys have. And so one thing I love about High Fidelity and all of its entities is it's kind of a music education for me and it encourages me to seek out new old music, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, one of the things that I think is really interesting, um, you know, how this has kind of evolved is like this idea of high fidelity now, now is it like a canon? Like, I mean, it's not obviously Shakespearean at, at the level of Shakespeare, but, but I mean, they are able to, Shakespeare's plays are redone and remixed to this day, you know, centuries later in different ways. And here you have this, fundamental idea of, of what it means to be um, a, a consumer of, of culture and and what that means um, in, in your life. And, and now they're able to tell it from a person in the UK to a person in the States. And now, you know, 20 years after that to, to a, a woman and, you know, living in, in New York. So it, 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 it obviously strikes a chord in, in a certain <laughs> demographic um, that, that can that can survive both time and gender in a way that, that's really interesting. And I think it really comes back to the fundamental question um, that's in all of them, which is the, you know, what came first, the music or the misery? Oh, right. What a great line. Yeah. Yeah, it's just reading the book. I just... A lot of things I like about it, but immediately you struck with like the structure of it and how many, the exercise of making a, a top five is on the first page, right? So like, uh, obviously we connect with that and just the fun exercise and the silly rules to each of those top fives and all of those things that I definitely connect with. I was definitely struck by like how honest the writing is and how kind of relatable everyman style, but it also has, uh, it speaks to like a particular audience who who's just loves music as well so there's it's kind of like it has this niche quality to it but also the style and casual writing and the nature of just like reflecting on past experiences just felt really kind of honest and relatable and so it's like it attracted me from the very first couple pages of the novel i uh i re-listened to the book recently after watching the tv show because i really hadn't read it you know probably over a decade and it struck me first how much, you know, like got edited out some, some of the stuff that, that kind of dragged in the book that, that got edited out between the movie and then even the, the TV show. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, there's just, there's just parts that I think get a little bit long um, mm -hmm. it, it, in the book, especially I was listening to the book, maybe, maybe that it changes if you're reading it, but I definitely sense that. And then also too, just how chauvinistic 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> the book is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Certainly that. You know, and that's 25 years ago. That was your average 30-year-old, you know, man, I feel, just completely oblivious. And, and you know, the, the, the reality is the book does do a good job of, of calling Rob out occasionally for his chauvinism. But, you know, like, for instance, when he, he goes back to the girl that... Um, he, he had the relationship in, you know, his teen years that he was just trying to quote unquote get some from, you know, mm-hmm. and when he talks to her and it turns out that she, you know, was almost raped after that because she had gotten so tired of, of fighting off guys and his mm-hmm. reaction is just like, that's another one I don't have to worry about. You know, it's like, I mean, it, it definitely screams, this guy is not all a good guy. Oh, right. Um, you know. Yeah, I think that's another thing I found interesting about the book, though, is that you he definitely starts out as almost this like antihero with quirks and uh, qualities that you you relate to, but obvious like you're obviously not. He didn't come across as a super likable character, and his I guess the the things that you do like about him are just the things that you connect with as like a this guy loves music, and I I relate to him in the in certain ways, but I I feel that like. It's interesting. I don't always read a bunch of novels that have you like start out not particularly liking a character or start out with like an anti-hero type character for an extended period of time. And in that way, it reminded me of like, and this is a newer thing, but Fleabag kind of has a, a very similar kind of structure to it. Yeah. Uh, where they're likable in, in some ways, but you are frustrated with them in a lot of ways and all of these things and it made him seem just kind of a more realistic uh kind of like just i guess a realistic character i i did struggle with by the end of it if i if i wanted him to succeed (laughs) if he (laughs) like if he had learned enough or changed enough you know because because we talk about the chauvinism which is which is pretty appalling at times yes and it's just like so by the end you realize that you're ex-girlfriend is a person with her own wants and needs and desires and not everything in her life is about sex and therefore you should succeed because she's a person and you know it now like uh i struggled with with the ending and the further away from my from it i get i I guess i struggle with the movie a little bit too and it's something i appreciate about the the hulu tv show the way they're kind of remixing this story you didn't you didn't want him to, to end up with his girlfriend I think she's too good for him. <laughs> I mean, to, to me, it's so, I mean, there's this fine line in, in, in a way a relationship works. And, you know, he had dipped down below that line that made it work for them. And then she kind of, you know, pulls him back up. And I mean, the interesting thing is, will, will he ever have the opportunity to pull her back up? You know, you just don't know, because that's not the story. That's fair. I mean, overall, I do, I, I enjoy the experience of reading this book. I guess part of which is because I've I've had a connection to the movie for a number of years. It was difficult for me having John Cusack in my brain mm-hmm. as well as Chicago, right? I'm like the fact that this is set in London was something that like I had to actively try to make uh Barry not sound like Jack Black, you know? Yeah. <laughs> which was a which was a interesting struggle of I, I've never had to do that with a book, I don't think. That's interesting because I like listening to the book, the book on tape version or the audible version is a is a british actor good doing it so it definitely feels more 
authentic to, I guess, the, the original. And, and I, it allowed me to, to separate it. Because I'm sure if I would have just read it today, I would have had the exact same problem. Right. I do think that like one one piece of the book that did not make the movie that I thought that ended up making the TV show that I absolutely love is the part where it's Rob's birthday and he doesn't have anybody to go out with. And so he ends up like paying people to go. And that same type of situation ends up happening in the TV show in a really amazing way um, that just is completely cut for time in the, in the movie. Um, so yeah, that, that one... Um, just cracks me up, especially because in the book you get to go inside his absolutely neurotic mind at that point that's about as raw as, as you know, someone can write about just feeling sad for yourself. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's a great sequence in the, in the show specifically. And, and uh, I, I do love what they, what, you know, the opportunity you get with a TV series, obviously, versus a two-hour movie is when adapting something, you just get to mine it for more of the, the great scenes and sequences and details that you, that you don't have time for in a movie. And another one is the um, when that woman calls Rob to sell her husband's record collection. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's, it's one of my favorite parts in the book because it is, I guess, you know, I talk about the struggling with whether or not Rob, you know, deserves Laura or, or any, you know, the ending. But one moment where you do get the sense that he actually is a good guy with some sort of moral code is that, that record collection uh, sequence. Mm-hmm. And I love it. So they're actually, in, in, for the movie, there is actually a deleted scene for that. Really? That Yes. Um, on the DVD version that I bought back in the aughts. <laughs> it, it had it had the deleted scene for that. Um, definitely not nearly as amazing as it is on the TV show that they pull a whole episode into that, which with Parker Posey, which is just <laughs> unbelievable. Right. <laughs> as as the the disgruntled wife, it's so great. I will say, I, like at different times uh, in the book, I was wondering if like the whole exercise of the the top five, if I was if I was going to think that that becomes um, trite throughout or if I was like, am I just liking this as some sort of fan service kind of uh, thing? Because I kind of relate as he just like spoon feeding me what he knows that I, <laughs> I would love sort of thing. But I do think it plays like a pretty critical role in the, uh, like once you, you read the last few chapters, um, I definitely like what, what that exercise kind of means to him and ranking everything and how it becomes uh kind of this judgmental and limiting and often reductive thing uh that he is always getting something from but never really like considering others in like of course it's a fun exercise that he has with his his friends at the the record shop or whatever but it plays a much bigger role that i i appreciate it because at some points i was like is this gonna just be a, a kind of a fan servicey thing and to realize kind of towards the end how he becomes a bit more uh even just a, a little bit more flexible or thoughtful um of others i don't want to it's at the very end so i don't want any spoilers here but i just thought that that was a fun a fun thing that i in a similar fashion how uh, i'm relating this to fleabag again uh and we could talk about it in the movie too but like the same sort of way that Fleabag and and the movie and TV show have this like breaking of the fourth wall talking to the audience I was like is this going to be something that I get tired of but I think they're 
there it's definitely critical to the to the message of the the show yeah it really is about he always is making lists and always crowning something the best so therefore there that means that there's a ton of stuff that's not the best yeah. and that that, that just <laughs> limits the way that he thinks about any given moment because it's nothing ever lives up to being number one i mean that's the whole point of his exercise of putting laura on the list initially is that she doesn't live up to his number one breakup right right so yeah i think well i think brandon the the word you used of of being reductive is a great characterization of that it just like removes any semblance of or possibility of nuance in in analyzing people or situations or art or anything like that it's it's just so numerical and binary in a lot of ways yeah and i think there's some i mean the 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 whole book and stuff is a a lot about just like self-reflection and him noticing his commitment issues and all of these things but i do think that there's some self-reflection as well towards the end of him recognizing that like you were saying like uh, having a specific take on someone else because of their music taste or whatever he recognizes how that doesn't always make a person who they are or whatever i know there's a specific i highlighted a specific section of that but it's so close to the end that i think it will uh take away some of the pleasure of reading it so just encourage the listeners to go read it themselves I'm sure Chad will let you uh, borrow his copy if somebody reaches out, right? There you go. <laughs> so, Chad, you moved to Chicago in the late 90s. You see them filming this, like, major scene of this movie. Is this, did you go see this in the theater in Chicago? Like, what's yeah. your experience there? Yep, saw it, saw it at a theater on Chicago Avenue, literally. Um, I, I took a date, um, or uh, I thought it was a date, but I don't think she did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect <laughs> exactly <laughs> just went out walking afterwards and then and then what would happen is i mean they shot most of that movie in the the like north milwaukee damon bucktown area of of, of uh chicago and that's where all my friends lived and we all hung out and went to all those bars and i mean you know it it just literally just became a a map to to what we were doing in our lives at the time i mean i still remember exactly where they made the fake championship final record store that they filmed in you know the, the actual corner that was two blocks from my friend's house wow that's incredible. Does it does it still remain like when you think of it of high fidelity? Is it always the Chicago thing in in your head? Certainly, because of that. I mean, uh, it it just became so ingrained because it came out in two thousand. So I'd only been there a year, and I ended up staying there a couple more years. And uh, I mean, the the funny thing is just just like the the characters in in the story, although it, it meant everything to me because of the connection that I had to the music in the movie and everything like that. Like most people in Chicago just didn't give a shit, <laughs> you know, right. it's, like, it's like the tortured, you know, um, person that, that cares about, about art a little too much. It just definitely continued. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's double-edged sword th- throughout, throughout <laughs> our lives. So just fine. Brandon, when did yeah. you see the movie for the first time? I mean, it was probably in in like early high school at some point, maybe like 2007 or something. So, I mean, it had been out for a while, obviously. But yeah, I, I still think of it, to me, it's like the strongest set. It's the setting that makes the most sense to me. And maybe it's because I've uh, lived there, but also I think it robs personality and the whole feel. It makes sense to me in that city over uh, some, over London and 
in New York City, just in, in my head. That's where I always picture it, I think. I definitely have a, a strong enough tie to it being in Chicago at this point that watching the TV show at first and they like do a lot of, um, you know, self-serving call-outs to Brooklyn just pissed me <laughs> off. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that, that's not the bar they hung out with. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So obviously in this movie, you've got John Cusack as Rob um, and a bunch of, I think, incredible uh, supporting players. Todd Luiso as Dick, Jack Black plays Barry, Lisa Bonet, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Joan Cusack, Tim Robbins. This movie's cast is is awesome. I mean, that that cast is is just, it's it's a murderer's row of like indie actors in a way that really works well. I mean, at the time when that movie came out, you didn't see a lot of movies come out with with that kind of supporting cast, just doing their little, you know, one scene specialty. And then it helps that, that you know, you, you like you said before, casting a young Jack Black in a role that's just tailor-made for his goofiness just mm-hmm. takes it up a, a notch because those characters could have been really boring if they didn't have the right actors playing them. Absolutely. And, and specifically the three guys that work in the, uh, the record shop, I, I love the way they were able to kind of personify these three, call them lovable losers in, in very different ways. Right. And embody these well-written already characters from, from the novel. But uh, I mean, obviously just, Jack Black completely reinvents Barry to be so Jack Black. Um, and, and even Dick, I think, is just so perfectly played as this soft, timid, but very intellectual and, and uh, knowledgeable music fan. I just love it. Dick, what's this? It's the new Bell and Sebastian. Do you like it? What the fuck is that? It's the new Bell and Sebastian. It's the record we've been listening to and enjoying, Barry. Well, that's unfortunate because it sucks ass. Yours, I assume? Okay, buddy. Uh, I was just trying to cheer us up, so go ahead. Put on some old sad bastard music, see if I care. I don't want to hear old sad bastard music, Barry. I just want something I can ignore. Here's the thing. I made that tape special for today. My special Monday morning tape for you. Special! It's fucking Monday afternoon. You should get out of bed earlier. Come on, dude. Play it. Don't you want to hear what's next? What's next? Play it! Say it. Little Latin loopy loo. <laughs> Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels? No! The Righteous Brothers. Well, never mind. 
No, not never mind. You tell me right now what's wrong with the Righteous Brothers. Nothing. I just prefer the other. Bullshit! How can it be bullshit to state a preference? Since when did this door become a fascist regime? Since you brought that bullshit tape in. Oh, man, that's great. That's the fun thing about working in a record store. You get to play crappy pap you don't even want to listen to. I just, I thought this tape was going to be a fucking conversation stimulator, man. I was going to ask you for your top five records to play on a Monday morning and all that, and you just had to fucking ruin it. Yeah, I was thinking, it, you know, since since each of them is like a different archetype of of the, the, the you know, music collector, it's like, or, or friend, even friendship. But sometimes I was wondering, like, in my life, who am I to in certain situations in certain groups, you know, like obviously in my own life, I think I'm Rob, you know, to, and my friends are the other guys, but, but when am I Barry to, to my friends and, you know, when am, when am I Dick to, to other friends? Because they definitely have different, you know, takes, even though they all have some of the same neurosis. Yeah. I'd say that anytime we're talking about Kanye West, you're Barry. Anytime you're, um... <laughs> Fair enough. You don't have 808s and heartbreak. I can't believe you don't have this fucking record. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah, one of the things that I love about it is the movie itself. A lot of times feels like it's a bunch of little set pieces, like almost like like sketches. You know, yeah. That that could be just you know YouTube clips on their own that that just work because they're they're funny and and the characters you know personalities just come through through immediately but then somehow there is just enough thread to keep an actual storyline kind of going because i mean like like we talked about before it's not like rob like becomes this shining beacon of a man by the end of the movie by any sense stretch of the imagination so the fact that that he moves from like 70 percent of a man to 75 percent of a man (laughs) you know by by the end of the movie but but still can move and, mm-hmm. and keep your interest as a movie and not just a bunch of scenes. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, that brings to mind, I think it's a scene that doesn't really have any real connection to the overall plot, but like the guy that comes in, and I think it's in the no- it's in the novel also, but I think it might be a different record. The guy that comes in and wants to buy a record for his daughter. Mm-hmm. I just called to say I love you. Is that the one? Correct, sir. It's a great little set piece that shows what assholes these guys can be, right? (laughs) I just called to say I love you. Do you have it? Yeah. Great. We have it. Great. Can I have it then? No. No, you can't. Why not? Well, it's sentimental tacky crap. That's why not. Do we look like the kind of store that tells I just called to say I love you? Go to the mall. What's your problem? Do you even know your daughter? There's no way she likes that song. Oh, oh, oh. Is she in a coma? Oh, okay, buddy. I didn't know it was pick on the middle-aged square guy day. My apologies. I'll be on my way. Bye-bye. It just builds this world, right? It tells us who these characters are. It it shows what their little world is like. All right, I think that was just one part about uh, the movie that really took some of the the form uh, of the, the book and how there are these, like, bits of him, uh, Rob, just reflecting on past experiences and then that uh kind of interwoven into this narrative that was in the present and the way that the movie captured that like you said and um kind of like the sequences i thought was uh was really effective and pretty faithful to how the book presented them and then but like you said uh towards the beginning 
of where you thought maybe the book kind of was dragging at times. You, you never got that feeling in the movie because the pace was quicker and obviously the movie's taking some things out. And on the flip side of that, though, I do think some of the ending, like some of what you see Rob improving on in the end loses maybe a little bit of its believability or, or I don't know if that's the right, maybe value or something because you don't, you're not stuck with them for so long and seeing process over a longer period of time. A couple of things that I like, first, my, my all time favorite scene um, is the one where they um, have the great day at the, at the record shop and there's lots of customers and, and Rob pulls out the CD, looks back at Dick and is like, I will now sell five copies of the three EPs by the beta band. Do it. I'm not going to lie that, that I went down to Virgin Megastore the next day and bought that CD and still have it to this day and love it to death. So, nice. I mean, that that's that's the power that they yield and wield um, in, in their space and, and what really gets them off. Who is that? The beta band. It's good. I know. I love that part because so so much is, of it is neurosis, but that's when it's like power to them is when they really get to influence with their taste. Right. It's it's yeah. them and their element, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was really. Uh, I'm curious how you know people that worked at record stores and record store owners like took this uh, when they read it or watched it, and if they how they connected to it in a different way, or if they uh, thought this was a fair portrayal of them or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Also too, this, I think this comes up throughout the, definitely the, the TV show and the, in the movie. Anytime anybody says, Oh, that's a great song. They all go, I know. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, it's not like, Oh yeah, I agree with you or anything. It's just, I know. Yeah. It's just really smug. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, a competition, it's, right? Yeah. The classic line is some years ago, we figured out it's not who you're like, it's what you like. Right. Or how you're like, it's, it's what you're like. It's, that's, that's the ethos. And it's, yeah, and, and that continues to be something that like plays out in our culture, right? And uh, all three entities of this story explore that. Another thing that I love about the movie, um, and this comes from the book, is how Rob and Laura end up back together through the passing of her father. And they end up having sex in a car that yeah. is just so like I mean the the emotion of it I had never seen before like the you know growing up watching cinema I, I just never thought of of sex as being like like a, as something to to just like pass the time or, or, or cover up a wound I guess mm-hmm. um, in a relationship and and the the more time that's passed in my life. Um, just the 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 entire um, connection of another person with you. Yes, sometimes sex cannot just be about you know ultimate physical pleasure and everything like that. It can act, it, it could it could be about just um, feeling something. And I, I think that's Laura's best part of the movie. I think that's where she shines the most. And um, obviously that's missing from the from the TV show just because they didn't really go down that road and hopefully maybe someday they will if they pick up for season two. But that whole sequence just is just felt really real and raw. And I love Rob's 
reaction and like participation in that because we're we've spending this whole movie watching him just be emotionally unintelligent right so like just kind of floundering in this in this awkward weird situation and just kind of it's like he's just like hanging on for dear life i think it's a a, a great scenario to put somebody in that character through are there different music references between the book and the movie or is it pretty consistent throughout because i guess it's only a five-year difference from from when they they're, were released they're definitely different subtly it's it's there's there um yeah there's definitely some similar ones i mean, I mean you can just see the tweaks of of whoever was in charge of doing this script and changing it up just giving little nods here and there to a more chicago you know idea yeah same with the i mean the the series the tv series definitely has uh quite a bit of differences in the music department than than either the um or than the movie did with the the book right i think the, the movie definitely stays closer to the book than than the tv show but obviously the tv show came out uh, quite a while later and i think that that is actually something that that is because of the time, not, not, not just the, the time difference in 20 years since the movie to the to the TV show, but the fact in, in that in that 20 years, music has, has, like music appreciation has changed in such a dramatic way. I mean, back in 95 and 2000, those guys um, looked down on everybody else's music in a really fundamental way because they spent so much time hunting down the things that really mattered to them because you couldn't just go to, to Spotify and hear, you know, some crazy, you know, Bella Kunde amazing, you know, track that, that someone's talking about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the idea of pop music just wasn't, or, you know, straight pop music that Britney Spears and everything like that, that would have been just awful for them. And now, <laughs> now you can have more of a larger palette. And I think that that's underscored in one of the first scenes in the in the uh, tv show where um rob the the female rob is is having a date and they start to talk about fleetwood back and that would have been something that could have you know been looked down upon by the rob of of 95 and 2000 in a really dramatic way whereas now it's like okay yeah i can like taylor swift and i can like you know some crazy you know thing that that's come out. yeah yeah when this dropped on hulu and, and we watched it i i was really actually very impressed with how the decisions they made in adapting this to a completely it's not a new story the bones are all still there right but the way that they changed the location again and most importantly i think made it a much more inclusive story about people of color, people who are not just straight, and really modernized it to a 2020 world, especially obviously with the music. Um, I think this is a, a really fun adaptation. Yeah, I, I was shocked. Honestly, I, I thought that this was, this art was gone in, in past. You know, I never thought that anyone would care enough uh, to put money <laughs> together to, to make this into something new again. So I was, generally shocked when when I first read about it and just was hopeful that it would bring back all the warm fuzzies that, <laughs> that I remembered and, and take me on a new journey, which I definitely feel it did. Yeah, I think I agree. There are some times when, it, when some situations play out pretty close to the way they played out in the first two that I was wondering like what this specific version, what it was bringing to the table. But I think 
overall it was really fun seeing like seeing a female version of Barry I think was was fun and same with same with uh obviously Rob's character those two things and then in the inclusion of that that the scene that you said it was a deleted scene in the in the movie uh I thought was was really great and just the ability to expand this out into a much longer piece of media because of the the TV format uh was cool yeah they definitely were able to let this story breathe in a way that just couldn't happen in a you know two-hour movie that the movie is so singular in it's in its voice and now all of a sudden you have a whole world that you can play with and and definitely a highlight is the fact that rob has a you know on again off again you know boyfriend throughout the entire first season that she likes him but doesn't know she really really likes him she's definitely not you know her normal type and that just adds a layer of complexity that you just couldn't do in a you know in the movie setting that makes rob really of the moment and have a lot more depth from minute one in the sh- in the show yeah I, and uh, one thing i was curious about was like when the movie came out what people's impressions of john cusack was like because i have this really like for zoe it's that she's just a badass she's just so cool and like what how that differs from you know people's impressions of of john cusack as as an actor and if that played any role into how you you view these characters yeah i mean i would say just remembering back i mean he was a a major star and like especially a, a major indie star like he hadn't done too many major you know big time flicks or anything like that that um, and and then everyone just of my generation gravitated towards him because of say anything mm-hmm. in a way that, that just gave him an emotional you know boost to to any kind of character like this. Yeah, and I think that that you can tell the the love and care that like John had in his portrayal because it was definitely he was the catalyst for getting the movie done. Just like you know Zoe and her family was the catalyst for getting this this. TV show done and it shows in the way that they portray those characters. They they found a depth to the stories to be told that allowed it to shine. Yeah. Well, and and along those lines, like comparing uh, Cusack and Kravitz, you know, one question I had going into this is, am I going to be able to buy Zoe Kravitz, who is a badass, like drop dead gorgeous, uh, incredible actor, like is Am I going to be able to buy her having all these relationship problems? Like, because John Cusack, good looking guy, but he's not Brad Pitt. You know, he like, he's a very good everyman. And am I going to be able to buy Rob as not an everyman or every woman? Like, she's definitely like, she's like, like an alien. Like, she's like something from another planet. Uh, So, so specific and eclectic. Right. And so um, to her credit, for the most part, I, I was on board. It's, it is a struggle sometimes because and I'm not, I don't even mean this from a male gazy way. She's just so incredibly stunningly beautiful. Yeah. But she, I think she definitely portrays the, you know, don't care, indifferent sort of attitude and like posture and everything so well. And in, in this, I think it, uh, I don't know, it was believable for me, at least. Yeah. One of my favorite scenes of the TV shows, just a moment where she's just sitting at the record shop and they're just playing the song daydreaming in the background or it, it, and you really can't tell is it just in her head is it in the in the shop itself but that's the way i think she gets away with with muting her 
beauty um, in a way that just makes her feel aloof and that aloofness to what's going on in the world around her and just being so insular is so much the character of Rob, no matter what version of Rob you're talking about. Another thing I loved was, you know, the supporting cast around Rob. A, I appreciated how they changed these characters, made them more inclusive, right? You have all three of them are, they're not just all straight white men, right? (laughs) And uh, so you can tell stories about all different types of people and show how they're still connected. And, you know, they're all, I think I bought all of their friendships. I love their record shop, their championship vinyl, just as much as the movies for different reasons. Um, And I also enjoyed the few episodes that we actually didn't spend really any time with Rob at all. And we got to follow these these other characters on their own stories. Um, I almost wish there was more of that. 10 episodes of a show. Agreed. Do we do we think that there's uh, room for season two? I think so. My biggest criticism of season one is I think where it shined the most is when they explored new territory, mm-hmm. these new relationships with these characters. I really loved Rob and um, the ex-boyfriend, uh, Mac. I, I love their relationship. Um, and where I think, although I love some of these scenes for nostalgic reasons, I think where where the it fell short a couple of times where it was really just trying to reproduce things from the book and the movie. Some of them were good. Some of them, it was kind of hit and miss. But I think where it really shined was where it spread its wings in its own way. And so I think season two, I think they've gotten most of the regurgitated, recycled stuff out of the way. And I'm excited for a season two where they just explore these characters and their relationships and from there. Yeah, I would 100% agree that the some of the fanboy stuff that they did, especially the stuff that was more, it um, that was slanted towards like male machismo bullshit, like um, right. the, the, you know, the fantasies about beating people up and stuff <laughs> like that. It, it was like, you don't need that anymore. Like that's just not necessary um, to the core of, of what this story is about. Um, you know, but you know, every time I'd be, I'd roll my eyes at it. I also still really like a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it was hit, like some of those are, are great. And, and especially, you know, we talked about the, the sequence where Rob goes to, to, to buy the, that record collection from the, you know, angry wife, ex-wife, <laughs> um, I think was a great thing that they pulled from, from the book. Um, but there's, I mean, there's a lot of conversations that are just straight up, like almost verbatim pulled from both the book and the movie. There's one that's like, it's it's right at the end of the series, which really bums me out because I think the ending of this, the last few episodes, are, I think, are some of the strongest. Um, but there's an example where uh, they kind of repeat that uh, that conversation between in the in the mo- book in the movie it's between rob and laura but in the show it's rob and the new guy clyde and she's asking what percent chance do they have to get back together in the book in the movie it was i think a really great scene that shows the emotional immaturity of rob and and how he just doesn't understand what he's asking where laura's coming from in the show in this example it it just it feels more like a bit and and it, it just doesn't really resonate and it's in a scene that's supposed to read as kind of a, a big moment for them and i if they would have just not recycled something old and and did something new with it i think they would have been better served although it's it's still a fine scene but it, it's not my favorite no i really agree with you and 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 
an example of where I think it, it tended to work is when they would figure out new places to take it. Like you're talking about the, the episode of, of, of Rob going to the, to the record collector. My absolute favorite part of that whole part is, is when Clyde and her go to the, the bar and meet up with the, the, um, the, the, ex-husband and he's the biggest douchebag in the world right. and doesn't even recognize the fact that Rob loves music and everything and just keeps talking to Clyde because he just assumes that only a man could have that taste in music kind of thing and that was new territory and that's really what made it beautiful mm-hmm. totally agree Brandon do you, I mean you asked the question about season two did you have thoughts or were you just throwing something out? oh no I mean I'm, I'm hopeful for for a season two I don't I might have missed. Do they? Do we know if it's if that's yeah, a thing or up. not? Or it's it's already okay. been picked up. I believe. Oh yay! I, that's news to me. I'll take that. Oh, all right. Well, let me let me do it. <laughs> <laughs> let me just double check, make sure I'm not full of shit. I was definitely hopeful, and you know, the last scene is is just the way they shot it. It felt like that there was a, more to be told, more story to be told. So yeah, I I, I loved that. That is like okay, I'm I'm ready to for more. You know new chapters i'm just gonna hold on it's taking a long time i don't know all right hold, so maybe i'm full of shit <laughs> gonna, gonna break my heart all over there, again there's no way there's not gonna be if they haven't announced it okay there's that i mean it's just like it's just okay it hasn't been greenlit yet so i'm full of shit but it's gonna happen guys all right same positive here yeah um one the only other thing that i was thinking about as we were talking through this is I, I love the way with TV, I guess it's just because it's so much longer, right? You get, uh, they're 30 minute episodes, right? About, yeah. Um, and about, and I think and it was 10 of them, right? 10 or yep. 11? I love the way that they were able to utilize music in this version of it. There were a lot more needle drops in different ways. You know, in both the movie and the TV show, you're able to just have music playing in, in in the record store or at home. But I, I loved getting lost in Zoe Zoe's version of Rob, the way she would just kind of zone out and the music would kind of fade in and get stronger, right? It's something that I don't think happened a lot in the movie because you don't really have time for that when you're, when you're telling a story in an hour and a half. But, uh, you know, there were multiple big moments like that um, where she'll, she'll just be in the record store in her office. Um, there's a very memorable one for me where uh, she's walking through the city and they, they drop Frank Ocean and, uh, and it's, it's just great. And, 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 you know, obviously using music that's more contemporary now that I'm more familiar with is something that I will automatically latch onto. But I, I, I just think the way they used music in this in a slightly different way than the other version of this story is great. And I think that's a sign of the times in just the way that music can be used in TV and movie production now, because music um, can be monetized to streaming. People can actually get this music easier than back in the day and attach it to to film because it's like you know we're gonna put we're gonna feature this song prominently in this scene and we're gonna have it on on all our playlists that are gonna be on itunes and spotify and everything like that and you're gonna get more plays and that's gonna equal more money for you um so that they could it isn't quite as much money to get it up front because there's a, a longer tail to the artist actually being able to make money off of, off of it so that lends all film like I've, I've noticed a huge tick up and better bigger music in film and especially tv in the past um 
you know, few years. And it reminds me of like back in the day with Dawson's Creek and stuff like that, where they break <laughs> the latest Paula Cole album. That's great. <laughs> Do we want to talk Happy Tears? Let's talk Happy Tears. So as far as Happy Tears moments, I've got a couple kind of across all versions of this. So I'll give you, I've got three. I'll give you one from the movie and then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll seed the floor for now. And, and I don't know if I cry during this, but it is my favorite scene from the movie. It is the, it's, it's the changing point for, for Rob, but it's, Rob is outdoors and it's where he looks into the camera talking to us and he explains his top five things that he loves about Laura. Top five things I miss about Laura. One, sense of humor. Very dry, but it can also be warm and forgiving. And she's got one of the best all-time laughs in the history of all-time laughs. She laughs with her entire body. Two, she's got character. Or at least she had character before the Ian nightmare. She's loyal and honest, and she doesn't even take it out on people when she's having a bad day. That's character. Three, I miss her smell and the way she tastes. It's a mystery of human chemistry, and I don't understand it. Some people, as far as your senses are concerned, just feel like home. I really dig how she walks around. It's like she doesn't care how she looks or what she projects, and it's not that she doesn't care. It's just she's not affected, I guess. And that gives her grace. And five, she does this thing in bed when she can't get to sleep. She kind of half moans and then rubs her feet together an equal number of times. It just kills me. Believe me, I mean, I could do a top five things about it that drive me crazy, but it's just your garden variety, women, you know, schizo stuff. And that's the kind of thing that got me here. And it's, you know, it's the moment where he realizes that she's the best and he's an idiot. And, you know, to be brief, it's it's just where everything changes from that point for him. Maybe I tear up at most. Maybe we call it a close call here on, on the podcast. But uh, it is my favorite scene from one of my favorite movies. So I have to shout out. <laughs> I 100% concur with you. That's That's the one that always gets me. And specifically, the moment where he talks about how she puts her feet together and rubs them together. Mm. Just the hand motion that he makes to, to signify it, he gets a little softer in how he describes it. And um, it, it is beautiful to, to hear someone wake up from such a deep, you know, neurosis and, 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 and all of a sudden be like, oh yeah, here's the things that are wonderful about the person that I love and be able to, to rattle them off. And in the way it starts off, you know, like in typical Rob fashion, like top five, and then like then it all of a sudden just becomes this beautiful bouquet of, of affection. Uh, so I think mine, I, I don't remember specific times in both the, the book or movie, but I, I mean, obviously there's emotional moments throughout, but the one that kind of got me was the, the scene of Clyde and, and Rob and the, car i believe it's after the that record where he he like gets her that um or the record that she yeah know, the prized record it or whatever <laughs> it was a david bowie record yeah yes. yeah it's a specific version of the man who sold the world oh hey hey yeah. uh just before before you jet um this might be a weird move yeah um <laughs> that's a weird move no for sure. this is, a, this is a, an actual weird move 
Check that out. Oh my god. What? Yeah. What? Uh, I, what? I took it. Yeah, I pilfered that. Holy shit! Holy shit! What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Dude, dude. I, look, I, just, I just, I've never seen anybody look at anything the way you look at that record. I felt like it was important oh. you should have it. I was like. Oh my God. <laughs> Clyde? Clyde. Yes. I've wanted one of these since the eighth grade. Awesome. Wow. It's like original pressing with an error on it that, you know. Yeah. It's like the. <laughs> Something so specific. Yeah. You know, the, the, the Billy Ripken fuck face card from. Do you guys know that? That's way too young. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I'm talking about 1989 baseball cards now. <laughs> Got it. I love the I love that scene. I feel like there's a change in Rob's demeanor in that scene. That's it's really nice and it's got to me. Yeah, um, like I said, I think the the show gets strongest towards the end. Um, I really love. Uh, I really love the scenes that that follow the non-Rob characters, and I hope in season two we get more of those. Um, but but the one I'll go back to a Rob moment is they have a big uh, she has a big fight with Mac. Um, they have this kind of rooftop uh, moment together where they kind of hang out, have a beer. He I think had just gotten in a fight with with his new girlfriend or something, um, and. They they go to leave and on the stairs they get into this screaming match. I was moved to tears by the sheer acting chops of both of these actors. It was a one-time thing, all right? A one-time thing, out. bro. You fucked someone else the night we got engaged. You fucking slept with someone else. Do you know how crazy that is? I know that it's fucked up. I was, I was fucked up. Do you know up. how fucking selfish you've got to be to do that? The night we fucking got engaged, bro, you slept with someone else. I wasn't ready. I wasn't fucking ready. You're telling me this now. You're telling me this now, Rob. I'm getting fucking married in about two weeks. Yeah, I know you're getting fucking married. Rob, you are one of the most selfish fucking people I have ever met. I swear to fucking God. I... That whole time, that whole fucking time, you just left me spinning out on my own like I was fucking going crazy. I thought you'd fallen out of love with me, Rob. I thought you'd fallen out of love with me. I didn't know what the fuck had happened. That whole time. I was, trying, I was trying to figure out what the fuck I'd done wrong. You didn't do anything wrong. Yes, I know I didn't fucking do anything wrong. You did. You fuck someone else, not me, all right? It was you. So, Nick, since you stole my a number one choice, I will say a second one for me is from the movie. Um, it's it, the, the scene in the movie doesn't actually drive me to tears, but the song that he talks about does. And that's when he's at Laura's father's funeral and talks about Mitty Rivers to cross. And that song has given me so much happy tears over my life. And what he talks about it, I can totally see why you'd want it to be played at your funeral. Man. Such a Chad Kursky happy tear. It's insane. <laughs> um, uh, my last one is actually, I think it might be the very last scene or moment 
in in the show in episode 10 if it's not the last one it's you know it's it's towards the end but um you know Charisse is our is the Barry uh the adapted version of the Barry character and I think she's great I think she's hilarious and I think it took her a little while to find her footing in some of the dramatic moments of it but really towards the end um I was really falling in love with that character and the moment when Charisse is at the record shop and this guy delivers her a guitar that we that that we learned that Rob bought for her, and her emotional response to to that gift was gorgeous and very moving to me. So I really loved. It. She really ended up being such a really great part of the show. Yeah, and taking that character who really is just a cartoon, pretty much in the book and in, in the movie, and turn it into something more by the end again it just shows it just leaves me wanting more and it hasn't been announced but i feel pretty confident that you'll get more (laughs) you're changing your tune on me already (laughs) pretty confident yeah (laughs) does anyone have a favorite top five that was in the that they did yeah just like a favorite prompt of a of a top five or i really like top five villains i think that might have only been in the show but they did top five villains. That was a good one. Um, you know, side one, what, top five side A track ones, I think is always fun. Yeah, I think that's great. It's one that, you know, me and Chad do this podcast called Playlisting. And that was essentially the inspiration for the first episode of, the, of that podcast. I, w- I would like to say that everyone that's had a Charlie in their life, <sighs> the- <laughs> every oh, every version of charlie whether it's the book or the tv show they all like just any sensitive boy has been stabbed by that girl (laughs) a hundred percent and i specifically i think Catherine zeta jones was born to play that role i love charlie in the movie i think she i think she's great in all versions but man it's so perfect yeah i mean she's i mean talk about getting like just the apex of, of someone that could play that part. I mean, just an amazing actress comes in, plays that part, just completely annihilates it and makes a John Cusack look so small in every right. single scene. Yeah. It's so great. So good. Well, gentlemen. Well, boys. I think we did it. Appreciate you guys having me on. This has been of wonderful. Of course. Thank you for joining us. This is the first of hopefully many. We know, I know for sure that when we, we cover... Uh, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy that we we will have you back to talk some Kanye. <laughs> I will bring my inner Barry for it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you both. You're both top five in my book. Wow. Top five guys. Top five boys. <laughs> I'll take it. Thank you for listening to Happy Tears. Happy Tears is produced by Nick Melita and Brandon Henry. You can find more information as well as this episode's show notes at happytearspod.com. You can find us on all the social media platforms. Uh, You can leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. It helps us grow and find a larger audience. Original theme music by Homage. You can find his music at youtube.com slash homagebeats and at homagebeats on Instagram. Uh, we got a little playlist called Happy Tears Mixtape, uh, which is great. We love mixtapes. It goes right along with High Fidelity. Oh, and, yeah, it does. And we put new music on there weekly, music that we review or that we're feeling. 
I think that's it for this week. Brandon, I appreciate you. Thanks for doing this podcast with me. I have so much fun. Uh, I do too. It was a good one today. It was a good having chat on. Thanks to Chad Kersky for joining us. And that's all I have to say. So Brandon, farewell, my friend. Farewell. Farewell.